Father, again, we just come to your word. Uh, we come humbly, realizing that, Lord, none of these truths can be learned just by the human mind, that we need your Holy Spirit, that we need our ears open and our hearts open to hear what you would have us to say, and especially a text like today, Lord, a, a very interesting and mysterious text that requires a lot of research, a, a lot of context to figure it out, and uh, Lord, uh, but it's an important text, a very important text, and I just ask today that, that Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit that you teach us about just uh, how important uh, our salvation is, Lord, how scary of a fate awaits those who do not know you as their Savior, Lord. And if there's anyone here today that uh, is not born again, I ask today, Lord, that you really touch their heart and, and uh, uh, just show them uh, the eternal fate of, of those who don't receive Jesus Christ. But, Lord, we just thank you for the blessings that we do have in our Savior, and we'll see that today, too. And, and again, we just uh, ask for your blessings on our study. We ask that in the name of Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Back in 2010, uh, 33 miners were trapped in a gold mine in Chile when the mine collapsed. And they were trapped some three miles from the entrance, over a half a mile underground. And I mean, you talk about a hopeless situation. They seemed to be in a hopeless situation. And they were there 69 days underground with two weeks worth of rations of water and, and food. And they were rescued. There was this miraculous, you might have remembered on the news, it involved several nations. The United States was involved. Canada was involved. NASA even got involved. NASA designed the tube that went down. Once they had drilled the hole, the tube that went down into the ground and brought these miners uh, up to the surface. Now, they made a movie back in 2015 called, 2000, uh, called, called 33. I don't know if you saw the movie or not. It's a really good movie. But the movie misses one of the main storylines of this event, and that was the fact that a great revival took place down in that mine. Out of those 33 miners, 30 of them came out of there born-again believers. Now, you talk about being in a situation where God makes you say, Uncle, they were in that situation. I mean, they were in a very tough situation. And that revival was led by a man named Jose Henriquez. You might have heard about this guy. He was just an ordinary miner, but he was a member of an evangelical church. He was a layman in that church. And about a week and a half before he went down into the mine, his grandmother came to him and said she had had a dream and that there was going to be a tragedy at the mine or there was going to be this, this terrible event take place at the mine and that he would have a very difficult time escaping that event. It would be, be really tough for him to escape with his life. And so he did, and so did those other uh, uh, miners. And, and when they were down in the mine and they were rationing out their food and water, they realized that there was something missing. They needed much more than food and water to get through this thing. And so they knew Henriquez was a born-again believer, so they... They uh, employed him to, to lead them in devotionals every day. Two times a day they had a devotional where they worshiped and praised God and begged for their deliverance. And, and they called him their underground pastor. That's what they called him when they came up above ground. And after the men were freed from the mine, the Chilean government awarded him with a national uh, hero medal and uh, here, here was Rodriguez, Hen Henriquez's response. He says, the true hero is Jesus Christ. He is the only hero worthy of glory and honor. So you talk about a great underground preacher. Man, Henriquez was that. But in today's text, in 1 Peter, we're going to learn about another underground preacher, a preacher who went underground, way underground, way past any mine. And the man we're talking about is the man that Henriquez worshipped, the man that these, 
that saved these miners and saved their souls. None other than Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at a very interesting text today, so, so get ready for it. But before we do that, I want to go back to where we left off last time. And if you remember, Peter had told us just how we can live the good life. How can we live the good life? You remember those, those, those steps he gave us? We're, number one, we're to put God first. Number two, we're to have compassion on other people. Number three, we're to keep our hearts tender. Number four, and this is a tough one for all of us, we're to control our tongues. Now, do you ever lose your tongue? I lost mine on the way to church this morning. Uh, I'm sure some of you did too. Uh, uh, we're, to, we're to do good uh, and we're to pursue peace. Those are the things we're to do if we're to have the good life as a Christian. Okay? And now, Peter could speak from experience. Because you talk about a guy who lived the good life, Peter lived the good life. Guys, I'm going to tell you, even before he was saved, he lived the good life. You know what he did for a living? He was a fisherman. I mean, on the sea, the beautiful Sea of Galilee, how would you like to make your living being a fisherman? Wouldn't that be great? I mean, that, that, I, I, I could do that. So he was a fisherman. But, but uh, something happened in Peter's life that made his life much, much better. The Lord came and called him to be one of his disciples. And you talk about the good life. I mean, the good life, walking with Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, walking with God for three years on this earth, that's a pretty good life, isn't it? But that life came with some suffering. And, and, and so Peter uh, is going to tell us a little bit about that suffering. Look at, look, look, and, and he had experience in suffering. Uh, look, look at what he says in verse number 17. He says, for it is better, he says in verse number 17, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now, Peter knew what it was to suffer for good, and he knew what it was to suffer for evil, didn't he? I mean, Peter suffered for good. I mean, once Peter became a disciple of Jesus Christ, and once Jesus Christ was crucified and, and raised from the dead and ascended back to heaven, Peter was left there to kind of lead the ministry to the Jews. And he had a tough time. I mean, he loved his life, but he had a tough time. He suffered for good. I mean, he was imprisoned. He was beaten. Uh, he had a tough time. Tradition says he was crucified upside down. Now, what a way to die. I mean, I, I, but he had a good life, but he suffered. Peter also understood what it was to suffer for evil, for his own evil. I mean, why did he suffer for evil? Same reason most of us suffer for evil. Peter stuck his foot in his mouth all the time, and that's why he suffered a lot. Uh, you remember the, when, when he made his great confession and he said to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and, and right behind that Jesus said, uh, I'm going to have to go to, to Jerusalem and I'm going to have to suffer many things from the hands of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and from the Romans. And Peter said, far be it from, from you, Lord, that you suffer anything. We're not going to allow you to suffer. And what did the Lord say? Get behind me, Satan. Now you talk about suffering. You talk about an embarrassing moment. Here you are in front of all your friends. You've made this great confession. And then you stick your foot in your mouth. And the Lord calls you Satan. I mean, I, I don't think he'd call somebody a worse name than Satan. And the Lord called him Satan. So he suffered for that. Remember when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and there was, there was Jesus on the Mount and there was Elijah and, and uh, there was Moses on that mountain and, and these three great men were on the mountain and, and Peter saw them all as equal. And so he said, oh man, it's good to be here. Let us build three tabernacles, one for Elijah, one for Moses, and one for you, Lord. And let's just stay here and chill a while. And, and what happened? Peter stuck his foot in his mouth, and a voice came out of heaven. It was the voice of God, and he said, shut up, Peter. He said, you don't know what you're talking about. That's basically what he said. I'm paraphrasing. He said, this is my beloved son, Jesus Christ. Hear him. Peter, you don't understand. Your theology is bad. You don't understand yet that Christ is God. And then we know we're, you remember we're probably 
the incident where Peter suffered the most when he denied the Lord three times. And you know, on that third time, when he denied the Lord, there was Jesus in that building being tortured and beaten by these, these scribes and Pharisees. And he looked Peter in the eye right after he had denied him. And, and the, roast, the rooster crowed. And Peter went out and he wept bitterly. So Peter understood what it was to suffer for good. He understood what it was to suffer for his own evil. Even though he had the good life, he suffered. Even though you have the good life in Jesus Christ, you're going to suffer some too because you can expect to suffer because look at verse number 18. You're following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Look at what he says in verse number 18. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Why? That he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Now, there is a lot of theology in that verse right there. Let me read it again. For Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Did Jesus ever suffer for his own evil? No, he suffered for our evil, not his own evil. How many times did he suffer? You know, whenever anybody tells you that Christ has to get back up on the cross so that you can, you can uh, drink of his uh, blood and eat of his flesh, that he has to get back in the cross continu continuously, hey, take him to this verse right here because how many times did he suffer? Once. Once for our sins. Remember the author of Hebrews said the same thing. He said by one offering, once, We've been sanctified forever in Jesus Christ. So all our sins have been paid for. He doesn't need to suffer anymore. Christ doesn't suffer anymore for your sins. He suffered once for our sins. You know, it's incredible how God grows in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I mean, how he corrects our theology and tweaks our theology over time through our experiences and through what we learn in our, in our Bible study. Early on, Peter had a really bad theology. I mean, he had a good theology about Jesus Christ when he said, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. In other words, I recognize you're the Christ, I recognize you're, you're God. But he didn't recognize that Jesus needed to suffer for his sins. But now at this point, he does. He says, for Christ also suffered once for our sins. Peter understood that it was on the cross when Jesus, it was those stripes that Jesus took when he was beaten, those nails put in his hand, that suffering that he suffered on the cross that saved Peter's soul. And Peter understood that now. And so he says, Christ suffered once for our sins. And look at what he says. The just for the unjust. Who's the just? Jesus. Who's the unjust? You and I. Why did the just have to die for the unjust? Well, Paul takes this concept and he expands the theology a little bit. So, so go with me back to Romans 3, and I want to look at that for a minute. Go all the way almost back to the Gospels, and then you get the Gospels, and then Acts, and then Romans. First part of the New Testament. You go to Romans chapter 3. And we just want to expand on this a little bit so we, we're sure we got this down. Listen to what he says beginning in verse number 21. He says, but now, in this age that we live in, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and prophets. In other words, what the law and prophets said, and he even quotes from the prophets from Psalm 5 up above there. He, look at what he says in verse number 10. There, there is none righteous, no, not one. So what did the prophet say? The prophet said that you cannot be saved by the law because there is none righteous, no, not one. And so Paul says we're now, we, for now, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law. Now listen to me very carefully. You have to have the righteousness of God in order to be saved. 
Nobody but perfect people will make it to heaven. Hebrews says, without holiness, you will not see God, and God is heaven. And so you're not going to get to heaven, and you're not going to see God without holiness. That is righteousness, perfect, absolute righteousness. That's the only way that you will get to heaven. And you can't do it by the law. So that's what he says. He says, but now righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and prophets. The law, and, the law, and the, the law itself says you can't keep the law. Even the righteousness of God. Now, how do you get that righteousness of God? Look at the next phrase, through faith. Friends, that is the only way you can have the righteousness of God. It is through faith. It's the only way. In faith in who? In Jesus Christ who died for your sins. To all and on all, every, anybody can have it. To all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. And then he goes on, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means we are all unjust. You know, here's where a lot of people get in trouble. There's a lot of people who think, well, I'm sort of just, and sort of just will get me into heaven. Will sort of just get you into heaven? No. In order to, without holiness, you will not see God. So sort of just is not going to get you anywhere but hell. We're going to talk about hell here in a few minutes. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody. All means what in the Greek? All. And the law testifies to that, and the prophets testify to that. But here's the good news. Being justified freely, you don't have to pay anything to get saved. All you have to do is believe. It's by grace through the, through the redemption that is in Christ whom God set forth as a propitiation, a payment for your sin. A payment for your sin. What was the payment? His blood. Do you understand that any religion that tries to remove the blood from their theology, from what they believe, they take away any means of salvation because that is the payment of your sin. And if your sins aren't paid for, you aren't righteous, and you're going to go to hell. Okay? If you, if, you, if you haven't been justified freely by the blood, then you're going to go hell and, to hell. And that, comes, that justification comes through faith. He says to demonstrate the righteousness because of his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Through the sacrificial system, he's talking about the Old Testament saints, which we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. To demonstrate at this present time his righteousness, his righteousness, the righteousness that gets you to heaven, his righteousness. He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that you could have the righteousness of God. That's what he gives you, that he might be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus Christ, that he might be just and that he might make you just. So it's a just, sinless God, the just for the unjust. That's what Peter says in just, just one phrase. It's a justless, sinless God who dies for your sins and gives you the righteousness of God. Man, that's a good deal. That is a really good deal. Why does he do that? I mean, why did God do that? You know why he did that? Look at back at verse 18. Look at the middle of the verse and listen to what he says. So that he might bring us to God. That's why he died for you. The just for the unjust. So that he might bring us to God, into a close relationship with God. And without his righteousness, you will never see God. You will never be in a relationship with God. In order to, and, and heaven is God. So in order to go to heaven, 
You have to be perfectly righteous. And you have to receive this gift of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. Going on in the verse, listen to what he says in verse number 18. I mean, here's how it happened. Being put to death in the flesh. I mean, being put to death in the flesh. Why was he put to death in the flesh? The just for the unjust. To pay for your sins. That's why he was put to death. But look what, here's the good news. But he was made alive by the Spirit. You got that? He was made alive by the Spirit. What Spirit? The Holy Spirit. But here's what's really cool. Jesus said, destroy this body or destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. Wait a minute now. If he's been put to death in the flesh, how can Jesus raise up his body? How can he do that if he's put to death in the flesh? Let me tell you what. Did Jesus die? Did Jesus? Can you kill God? Let me ask you another question. Can you kill God? You can't kill God. He, his body died. They killed his body. You know what? The only reason they killed his body is because he let them kill his body because he gave up his spirit. He could have hung on that cross for 100 years if he wanted to because he was sinless. I mean, that would, wouldn't have been something I think he'd want to do. But, but he gave up his spirit when he was ready, when it was finished, when his work was finished. He gave up his spirit. You can't, you can't kill God. So Jesus was alive. Now here's the question. Here, let's, let's, now here's where we're heading into this underground preacher thing. If Jesus was alive, all right, if he raised, he, he's going to raise up his body from the grave. If he was alive, after he gave up his spirit, where did, what did he do those three days? Where was Jesus those three days before he came up out of the grave? I mean, that's the question we, we, we want to get into now as we get into this really deep passage beginning in verse number 19. Hang with me now. This is some interesting stuff. By whom he went and preached to the spirits in prison. By his spirit he went to preach in the spirit, to the spirits in prison. Now, this is one of those texts that I would never touch if we didn't go verse by verse through the Bible. I would just dodge this thing like most people do. You, or, or I, I, you know, there are guys who say what he did, he started a jail ministry for three days and he went to the prisons in Jerusalem and preached to the prisoners in Jerusalem. No. No, you got to really have some weak theology to think that's what this is talking about right here. But before we get into this, I mean... I, I, don't get mad at me. If you don't like my interpretation here, don't get mad at me. Several years back when I talked through First uh, Peter, we had a guy here and I preached through this section of the text and afterwards he said, man, uh, you know, you got some bad theology. And he all but called me a heretic. That's what he was calling me. He said, he said you know, you're saying that Jesus went down into Hades. I mean, that's is really, that's where we're going to head here in a minute. That is really some heretical stuff. He said, he said, and you either change that or I'm leaving the church. I said, well, I'm not going to change it. I, I said, uh, and I was really kind of hoping the guy would leave the church at the time anyway. So <laughs> blessed subtraction, they call that. <laughs> and he said, well, I'm leaving the church and I'm going to call Chuck Smith and report you to Calvary Chapel. I said, well, before you call Chuck Smith and report me, let me tell you what you might want to do. You might want to listen to his tape on this passage <laughs> because that's where I learned about this was from him. So maybe he's changed since then, and you might know of a change that I don't know about, but, but Chuck Smith teaches this basically the same way I do because that's where I was first turned on to this idea because this is absolutely amazing what happened here. So I'm saying all of that 
So don't get mad at me. This is not something, you know, if, if your interpretation is different from mine and you choose to be wrong, then we still can be friends. <laughs> but here we go. He makes this really, look back at the text. Now he makes this really startling statement that after his death on the cross, he went to preach to the spirits in prison. Now, I don't think that's a jail ministry. And we're going to see that in just a minute. We know from Ephesians 4 that after his death, he descended into the lower parts of the earth. Go with me there for a minute. Go back to Ephesians 4. few books back, actually several books back. We'll go to Ephesians 4. We could spend a lot more time on this text today than what we're going to spend because it all ties together. There's just some amazing things here. But, but just pick up with me in verse number 8. He says, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, when he ascended back to heaven, the glory he had before the foundation of the world, uh, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now, he led captivity captive. That means he released some captives to make them captives to God. That's really what it's saying right there. And he gave gifts to man because he gave gifts to those that are still here on earth. And now this, and, and Paul throws a big monkey wrench in here too, a theological monkey wrench. He says, now this, he ascended, what does it mean that he first also descended into the lower parts of the earth? Below the ground, if you want to look at that in the Greek. He descended deep below the ground. Now where did he go? Well, we know he went down into Hades. That's where he went. Before the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. When you died, if you were here on this earth, you went down into the lower parts of the earth. You went down into Hades. Now we know from the story that Jesus tells over in Luke chapter 16 about the Lazarus and the rich man, we get a description of Hades. And there were two compartments in Hades at that time. Now, some people say, oh, that's a parable. That's a parable, and that's just allegorical, and that's not a literal story. Let me challenge you with this. Whenever Jesus spoke a parable, the text tells you that he spoke in parables. You go back and look at this story, he doesn't say anything about it being a parable. In fact, I'm just, it's just speculation. I believe Lazarus is the same Lazarus that died and Jesus raised from the dead. That's who, that's who I believe he is. But Lazarus went down into a place of blessing and bliss, down towards Abraham's bosom, a place called paradise. That was one compartment in Hades. There was another compartment where the rich man went, and it was a place of torment, so hot down there that he begged, begged Abraham or, to give him just a drink of water. Apparently, he could see to the other side, and he could talk to the other side, but there was a gulf fixed between the two sides. And so that's where you went when you died. Well, Jesus was a man. He was God in the flesh, and he died. So it would make sense that he would go where everybody else went. But he went down there for a purpose. He, he didn't have to go down there. Obviously, he's God. He could have ascended on back to heaven and said, to heck with this world. But he didn't do that. He went down there to preach, to be the underground preacher. That's where he went. I have no doubt about that. Now, here's the great question. What did he preach? I mean, what did he preach? Well, we, we're given a hint in verse number 20. So look at verse number 20. Go back to 1 Peter. Look at verse number 20. He went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient. Now, you could draw a line right there. In the Greek, you don't have punctuation, but I would put a period there because what he's going to do, he's going to give an allegory now of those people or a type of those people who are disobedient. But every disobedient person, everyone who disobeyed 
the gospel, who disobeyed, who didn't want to have a relationship with God, who disobeyed him. We all disobey God, but they disobeyed him without covering their sins through the sacrificial system. He says to all those who were disobedient, who were formerly disobedient, and then he uses the type. He gives the first type, and it's the type of the flood. When once the divine, when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, the eight souls were saved through the water. So he gives this type of water, this type of the flood. And, and basically, he shows us that the disobedient souls were there down in that prison, and he went down there to preach to them. And there's also, I believe, Noah was down. Where would Noah be? He would be in the good compartment, in paradise, in Abraham's bosom. So, so Noah was down in Hades too. So Jesus went down there to preach. And, and by this type, we know that he went to preach to the lost, and he went to preach to the saved. Now, let me tell you what you can rule out right now. He did not go down to the bad compartment to give them a second chance. They weren't getting out of there. There are no second chances. When do you get your second chance? While you're here on this earth. You get a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance and a sixth chance and a seventh chance. You get lots of chances. You got a chance right here today to receive Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you what, you keep ignoring those chances and you're going to go down to Hades when you die. You're going to see that when we get into this in just a few minutes. But you don't get, there's, no, there's no underground preacher coming down there to save you. But he did go down there to preach. And he goes down to Hades to preach to the spirits. And what did he say? Well, you all want to hear what he said? I don't know. I don't know. He didn't have to say anything. He's God. Here is God, and he descends down to heaven, and he says, I'm here. You know what that said to the disobedient spirits? The God you rejected is here. The God you refuse to believe in is here. The God you refuse to obey is here. That's what he said. But you know what he said to those in paradise? Oh, man, did he have some good news for them. You're about to come out of the earth and you're about to ascend with me back to heaven. You're about to be released. He's going to carry captivity captive. You're still going to serve God. So you're still going to be captive, but you're, instead of captive down here, you're going to be captive to God in heaven. And don't you see how the best part of it, you know what the best part of his sermon was? If you're sitting there and you haven't believed in Jesus Christ and here comes Jesus down into Haiti and you're sitting there and you, you, you're in the heat and you're, you, you, you're thirsty and, you, and you're miserable and then you're over, these people over here in paradise are, man, they're all smiling and cheering because Jesus is there to take them home and then he ascends out of heaven and he takes them out of paradise and you're left there? That's a pretty powerful sermon. But it's too late to do anything about it at that point if you're in the bad part of Hades. See, that fits perfectly with some other text. You remember what Jesus told the thief on the cross who believed in him. He said, today, not three days from now, what did he say? Today, you will be with me where? In heaven? No, he said in paradise. Now, heaven became, for those people, paradise just shifted up to heaven. But he said, today you will be with me. With me. Not in a jail ministry somewhere. You will be with me in paradise. And that's where Jesus went. He went down to paradise and he took the thief with him. So that makes that thing make sense. Because if Jesus had said, today you will be with me in heaven, as some people teach, he was lying. Because he wasn't in heaven. He remember what he told Mary or Martha, I don't remember which one, but I believe it was Mary. He told her, don't touch me, I have not yet ascended to heaven. 
He had not gone back to heaven. Jesus didn't go back to heaven. He went down into the depths of the earth, down to Hades, which is a real place. A real place. That, make, that answers another very mysterious passage in Scripture. You remember in Matthew chapter 17, after Jesus died, you remember that the graves of many Old Testament saints were opened and they were raised up to life and went into the city and appeared to many people. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Now, where were those people before? You know, some people have this thought that you die and you're in the grave and you live in the coffin and you sleep there in the coffin until you're woken up. No. They, they, they weren't in that coffin. Their bold bodies were in that coffin. But they went down. They went down when they died, the Old Testament saints. They went down into paradise. And so when Jesus came up and he led captivity captive on his way up, he took some of them with him, if not all of them with him. And they came out of the graves. They, and I guess in resurrected bodies. And they ministered to their friends and said, look, I'm back. You know what, I, what are you talking about, a sermon? You think maybe they had a sermon to preach. I mean, I wish those stories were in the Bible. We don't get that. And I don't know how many of them God brought, Jesus brought with him, how many of them he sent on up to heaven. I don't think, I don't, I think they all were here on earth until he ascended to heaven and they went and ascended with him. You know, I wonder if maybe he didn't leave some of them behind like Elijah and Moses, and they still walk this earth. You might have run into them before and not know it. You know what? He didn't have to do that, though, because I believe heaven is right here. I believe heaven is just a dimension, just like there's a dimension below the earth. And I believe that you can, they can walk in and out of that dimension anytime they choose. So look at what he says in verse Number 21. Now he's going to talk about us. He says there's also an antitype. Now that means another type. The first type is the flood. The flood that destroyed the disobedient spirits. And actually the flood saved Noah because the flood lifted Noah up above all of the destruction. So there's this antitype. And really he's talking about in its reverse of the flood that destroyed souls. There's an antitype that saves you. This is what saves you. He's what he's going to get into now. He says, there is also an antitype which saves us, baptism. You catch that? Baptism saves you. Now, there are a lot of denominations that love the first part of that verse. Because they believe that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. Peter Somehow, by the Holy Spirit, knew those guys would come, up, would come up one day. And so he clarifies it for them. Look at what he says in the last part of 21. Not the removal of the filth dummies. Not the water, the, the type doesn't save you. That's what he's saying. Not the water washing away the dirt on your body. That's not what saves you. It's nothing more than a type. But it's a good conscience toward God. And how do you get that good conscience toward God? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus came up out of that grave, out of Hades, and then ascended to heaven, he, that's why I say you could tie this back to Ephesians. He gave gifts to men, and the greatest gift of all that he gave us is his spirit. And it's his spirit, his resurrected life, that gives us a good conscience toward God. And the baptism is, is, is just a type. And, and when you go down into the water, you're saying, I'm dying to the old life and I'm being resurrected anew to a new life in Jesus Christ. Who, watch this, has gone into heaven. He's gone on into heaven. And is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers, all of them, having been made subject to him. Where's Jesus Christ now? He has gone to heaven and he sits on the throne 
at the right hand of God the Father. You wouldn't see God the Father. But you would see, if you went to heaven right now, you would see the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. You would see those scarred hands, those scarred feet. You would see Jesus Christ, the Alpha, the Omega, Almighty God. That's who you're going to see when you get to heaven. And let me tell you, he's preached his last underground sermon. I mean, he's he's, he's not preaching these sermons above ground. He's not preaching any sermons underground. He preaches his sermons from heaven now. And let me tell you what the sermon is. I can tell you the sermon is. The sermon is that he is almighty God. He preaches his glory and power. He preaches the fact that he's given us victory over sin and victory over death. That's what it says when you see Jesus Christ, the lamb slain before the foundation of God before the foundation of the world, when you see God Almighty on the throne, that's what it says. That's what you see when you see Jesus Christ. And more, I love this part of the verse. He says, All angels and powers and authorities are now subject to him. That means the good angels and the bad angels are subject to him. You know, we get this idea somehow that Satan has about as much power as Jesus has. He is subject to Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul told us in in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, that he has triumphed over all demonic authorities. He's humiliated all demonic authorities. They are subject to him. Well, if they're subject to him, then why are things so bad in this world? I'll tell you why they're so bad in this world, because people have gotten so bad in this world. And they've allowed demonic powers to, to influence them and direct them and to, 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 to ruin our nation and other nations. But that's not the Lord doing that. The Lord allows that because he gives man a choice. You want to choose evil, you can choose evil, but you're going to pay a price. But let me tell you what, at some point he's going to put that evil down. He's not going to put down the evil powers. He's going to put down evil people. The day is coming real soon when he's going to do exactly that. So, here's the question. I want to go back to this story here. What happens now when we die? What happens now when we die? Well, if you're a born-again believer, let me tell you what happens. There's no more paradise. Paradise is in heaven now. To be absent from the body, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, is to be what? Present with the Lord. Where's the Lord? He tells us right here, who has gone into heaven. So when you die, you go straight to heaven. You go straight to heaven. But what about it? What if you don't believe? If you don't believe and Lord, if you're, let, me, let me take this one step further. If you're not born again, where do you go when you die? Listen to me. You go straight to Hades. You go straight to Hades. And it's a place of torment. If you don't know the Lord, you're going to go, if you're not born again, you're going to go straight to Hades. And there will be no second chances. You will have had all the chances you're going to get. Well, pastor, you're trying to scare us. You're right, I'm trying to scare the Hades out of you is what I'm trying to do. You don't want to go to Hades. Let me tell you what's going to happen to you. Listen to me. If you die and you go to Hades, let me give you the good news first. You're not going to stay there forever. Isn't that great? You're not going to stay at Hades forever. Let me tell you how long you're going to stay there. 
You're going to stay there until the great tribulation begins here on earth. That'll be good. You won't be, you won't be there. But I think maybe Hades might even be worse than being here on the, during the great tribulation. But you're going to stay during the great tribulation. And then the Lord's going to return and you're still going to be down there. And then there's going to be a millennium on the earth and you're going to be down there for a thousand years. Scary, isn't it? A thousand years. And here's the good news. You get out then. You get out and you go to heaven. You're raised to heaven where the Lord is. But here's the bad news. Really bad news. You will be at the great white throne judgment seat. And you will be judged for your sin. And the wages of sin is death. And then, here's where hell comes in. Then you will be cast into hell with the devil and his demons forever and ever and ever. Ten million years from now, you can't say, well, in ten million more years, at least I'll get out. You will never get out of hell. Never. Now, preacher, I don't believe in hell. Friends, let me tell you, it doesn't matter whether you believe in hell or not. There's, it doesn't change the fact there's a hell. I mean, listen to this above-ground preacher. There is a hell. You know, I thought about sharing with you all a vision that I had shortly after I got saved. My wife's crabbing her seat. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'll share you just how, what led up to it. I got saved on the interstate between El Paso and Albuquerque. Then that night after I got saved, and I was a pretty bad person, really bad person. That night after I got saved, I found myself somehow off the interstate on Highway 666. If you look on a map, today there's no Highway 666 in New Mexico because they changed the number because it was known as the Devil's Highway. There was all sorts of mysterious things happened on that highway. It sits right on the Continental Divide, which is really interesting. And I was on that highway, and I couldn't get off that highway. And I think the highway I was on was a vision, a different highway. And I'm not going to tell you what I saw. But let me tell you this, and you can believe me or not believe me. I, what God was telling me was, there is a Hades. And people are going down into that Hades by the thousands. The majority of people are going down into that Hades. You don't ever look back, George. You don't ever look back. You don't want to end up going down into Hades. And when you come out of this vision, it's going to be your job to tell people about Jesus Christ and that there is a Hades and that there is a hell. I'll leave it at that. I know there's a Hades. Where all the openings are, I don't know. I believe that's another dimension, and I believe, you know, probably won't get to, I don't ever want to see again any opening to Hades. I know y'all are looking to be really strange, but I don't know if I'm coming back and hear this guy again. But listen to me. 
if you don't know the Lord, you don't know how much longer you have on this earth, and you're getting a chance today. Don't put off your salvation. Because it's a serious stuff. And it's, man, God is so good and so merciful. And life is so good when you get to know the Lord. It's so much better. You know, I, I, I look around and I see so many people that call themselves Christians that really aren't serious about their faith. They're living like the devil. And that scares me. That scares me. Friends, get serious about your relationship with the Lord. Get serious. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And when you die, you won't go to that awful place called Hades and then hell, you'll go to the very presence of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word and kind of a scary subject today, Lord, but it's a real subject. It's a reality, Lord, that a lot of people don't believe in, but one day they're going to face if they don't get serious about their relationship with you. And I just ask today, Lord, that we're all touched, especially those of us that are born again, that we're touched to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's so many people heading down a dark and dreary road, Lord, all the way to Hades. Help us to minister to those people. Father, if there's somebody here today who doesn't know you as their savior, I just ask that you give them a vision, Lord, of hell and Hades. That you show them just how serious all these things are. And that then you show them the great light and great blessing that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, that today be the day of their salvation. I just, it's a gift. It's all we have to do is receive the gift, Lord. And we're so grateful for the gift that you've given us. We just thank you for, Jesus, for your blood, your broken body, for your resurrection, and for the new life that you give us. We thank you in your precious name, I pray. Amen.